Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 333, recorded December 28th, 2011, our science fiction special. Security Now is brought to you by Ford, featuring available sync with my Ford Touch. Sync with my Ford Touch gets you to your destination with integrated turn-by-turn directions and directional arrows displayed on screen. Check it out on the new 2012 Ford Focus and at Ford.com slash technology. And by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies on your PC, Mac, iPad, iPhone, or TV instantly. All streamed directly to you, saving you time and money. For your free 30-day trial, go to Netflix.com slash twit. It's time for Security Now, our special holiday edition. Joining me now from GRC.com, Steve Gibson, the man behind (laughs) the myth, the legend, the man behind Security Now, our security guru, our privacy expert, the author of SpinRight, the world's finest hard drive maintenance utility. Happy holidays, Steve. Did you have a good Christmas? I did. It was uh, nice. We're having a real cold spell in Southern California, and it was even colder in Northern California. I was up there for the weekend, and... Of course, I like to start my days at Starbucks, and on sun on Christmas morning, they opened at six a.m. So I left the house <laughs> around five forty, and hoofed it over to Starbucks, dragging my little you know airport wheelie behind me. It's a and Starbucks I look- Christmas. I was passing cars that were completely like. They looked like they were in the snow. It was so cold. It was below wow. freezing. And, and one wow. of the gals, I got there a little early, and she was also, she was hoping that she was going to be able to get her Starbucks and get back home before her kids woke up. They were ages three and five. And I said, oh, good luck with that. They probably never went to sleep. Oh, you know, yeah. The worst no thing with little kids on Christmas. And, of course, yep. now I have teenagers. So we had to, we were in uh, all in Massachusetts visiting Abby. And mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we were all staying in the same hotel. Abby came across the street to join us in the hotel. And um, I think it was 1130, maybe noon. <laughs> Finally, Jennifer and I said, you know, this is it. We're, <laughs> we're going to miss lunch. <laughs> so it really shifts at some point. Yes, it does. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, anyway, uh, happy holidays. You So you didn't come up here to visit mom uh, at any point or... Oh, yeah, I did for Saturday and Sunday. Just oh, good. For the, oh, good. I, I come up on the morning of Eve and leave on the uh, on the late afternoon of Christmas Day. That's sweet. So, yeah, we even have yeah. some, some pretty nice weather up here. I don't know what it was like on uh, Christmas Day, but uh, we've we've had uh, beautiful weather the last couple of days. So maybe it'll warm yeah. up in the Southland. Last year, I gave Mom her first Kindle, uh, which was the, the current model at the time. Uh, this year, because I had been reading so much, I, I sort of gravitated toward my DX. And, oh, really? Uh, the so big I, one? The giant I, screen? Yep, exactly. And I just like, I mean, I'm, I'm not holding it up in the air. It is heavier. Right. But it's, I just like the reflective screen more than reading on anything else. 
So I thought, you know, I'll bet mom would like this too. So I tracked down one. I really like the white color, which they discontinued in favor of the graphite, which is a very dark, you know, graphite. I think they do it so that the the not quite white e-ink background looks a little bit whiter by comparison. Oh, if you're there you go. In a white frame. Clever. Uh, but I found somebody on eBay whose dad had purchased a DX just before the first iPad came out. And he put it on the shelf and never used it. So it was in mint condition. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get a white one for mom <laughs> and verify that it was. Anyway, so she just she's in love with it. I've heard from her a couple times. She likes and, the DX. She likes the bigger the bigger form factor. Yeah, you know, at 84, the, ma- the macular degeneration yeah. begins to kind of be a problem. Yeah. And, I mean, it is, it's easier to read. When I saw the font size that she had chosen for her smaller screen Kindle, I thought, oh, this was a good idea. Because now you can actually get three sentences on on the page. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes, mom. Yeah, my mom just had a, <laughs> just had a, a cataract surgery in uh, one eye. And she loves mm-hmm. the Kindle for the same reason, the big print. She said, I, I can read again, which is really wonderful because she's a voracious reader. Right. And and Jennifer, who I gave the uh, little Kindle, the new little seventy nine dollar uh, Kindle, to. oh, which I really like too. Love it, it's love it. So well, small and lightweight. Uh, she's following in the family footsteps. She left it on the plane. So, uh, <laughs> but here, good news: it's seventy nine dollars. So uh, I guess we, it's it's readily replaceable. Yes. We had a really funny cabin attendant. Um, I don't remember whether it was coming up or go, it was flying up. Who who talked about how. Every single flight, somebody will leave their electronic gadget, oh, whether yeah. it's an iPad, a Kindle, oh, yeah. a Blackberry, a Blueberry. I mean, he went on to he he went through this this great little pitch that I'm sure is, is repetitious for him. But he said, however, if you want to recover those, there's a website you can go to. What? And pause. And he says, it's www.ebay.com. <laughs> ah, the truth comes out. Uh, to get your your lost yeah. devices back. So. Yeah, that doesn't, yeah. Alas. Well, so, it's all right. You know, it's uh, it's kind of a holiday tradition. <laughs> and the, the, you're right. At 80 bucks, it's a, it's a good thing. So, um, well. Tell us yeah. what we're going to do this uh, this episode because we should explain for those of you watching uh, after the fact, the recorded version, that we're doing this on the 28th. Well, it says there on the screen, 28th of December. Uh, most of the Twitch shows are in uh, best of mode. So we, 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 we reserve this week and we've done this for a few years and it's really fun for making a best of cut downs of the whole year for each episode, the twit, uh, best of episodes, Sunday, that kind of thing. And it's a lot of fun because uh, we let you uh, go to twit.tv slash best of and suggest that. That's up all year round. If you see something you really want to uh, preserve for next year at any point, just go there, twit.tv slash best of, and give us the information. Um, in any event, so we've, we've collated those for most of the shows. However, you and I talked last or a couple of weeks ago. By the way, thanks to, uh, was it uh, Tom or Iaz who did the show last week? Whoever. It was Tom who Tom covered it. Thank you, Tom. He, he, He's been doing our Q&As lately. We, we, we noticed that the every other week of Tom was synchronized <laughs> with the every other week of Spin Rights, or of Security Now's Q&As. So, so, yeah. uh, so we thought uh, this week, because they're really, it's hard to do a best of on a show like yours where it's either great in-depth discussions of how the internet works or something. You can't take five seconds of that. Or it's news. So, it, you know, so we figured... Let's make a special episode. And Steve's well, yeah, idea last, was great. Course, la- yeah, last year we famously repeated 
the, the the portable dog killer episode that was everyone's arguably favorite podcast, <laughs> even though it wasn't about security news. Um, but I actually did get some some feedback from people saying, oh, you broke your record of never having missed a single episode, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, well, OK, yeah, you could you um, can you can try to be perfect or you can do a good job. And somebody I would I would love to give credit to whomever it was, but now I've forgotten. But the recommendation or the idea was surfaced to do a sci-fi show. And I thought, wow, that's a great idea because there's been so much good feedback about the book recommendations that you and I have talked about over the years. And people have said, you know, where's that written down? Where is that all in one place? And so, okay, nowhere. <laughs> um, so I thought, hey, let's do that let let's do an episode we'll do we'll do we'll do a little bit of security news because there is there's one important thing i need our listeners to turn off in their routers which is Ooh. just just come up okay a new problem with the most secure technology we have you know oh. our wpa technology oh. in, involving uh, the Wi-Fi protected setup, which is an ease of use feature that virtually all routers now have. It's all enabled by default, and it turns out it can be cracked. Jeez Louise. So that we gotta talk about that briefly. Okay. But mostly we're gonna we're gonna go through all of the books that that I have talked about in the past and just sort of put them in context, compare them to each other, what I liked about them, sort of pull all this together in one place for our holiday holiday sci-fi special edition. I love that idea. I love that idea. So we will uh, we will get to uh, sci-fi, holiday sci-fi in just a bit. Uh, and a bit of tech uh, news, uh, security news, because security news never sleeps. Nope. Because the bad guys never sleep. But before we do any of that, the chat room has spotted something. Hmm. And uh, I think they've, I, as usual, the chat room is brilliant. You are wearing a Minecraft shirt. I am. <laughs> okay. You, <laughs> don't, don't tell me Steve Gibson, the king of assembly language program, is playing Minecraft? No, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> Did, it's sort of, it's kind of a cool sort of Escher-like. It's uh, great. Yeah, impossible Mobius strip thing. So I thought, oh, I like that. I'll, you know, I was over on, I think I was on Think Geek, and I thought, oh, I'll take one of those. Well, it, the uh, the story is it's Diamond Blocks in a game called Minecraft, which is a um, a really popular game right now, written in your favorite language, Java. But the advantage of that is it's it's portable. It's on every platform, uh, and uh, it's 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 really interesting. It comes out of Sweden. And uh, it was just it was just this guy who uh, wrote this really fairly simple program. How weird! I I figured it was like old school. It looks with, old know. school. It does. Yeah, yeah, because it's eight bit, but it's yeah. it's not. In fact, it's probably the hottest. It's one of the hottest, if not the hottest, games out there right now. Believe no it or kidding. not. Yeah, and 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 it's kind of I have it probably here. I could show you, but it's kind of a strange game uh you go around it looks like a first person shooter but instead of a hand with a gun you see a, a block which is your hand and you go around beating on on the landscape to to collect natural resources there are a few enemies but it, it's not really about fighting enemies it's about collecting natural resources and building things 
And so the the natural resource that's on your T-shirt is diamond bricks, which I gather I'm not a Minecraft player, but I've played it, but I'm not a player, uh, is uh, uh, apparently very scarce and valuable. So that's the T-shirt. Cool. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Thank you for letting me know what I'm wearing. <laughs> Did your mother buy that for you? <laughs> All right. We're going to uh, we're going to take a break and uh, get to the tech news in just a second now that we've cleared up the Minecraft uh, shirt. <laughs> uh before we do though, I do want to say hello to our friends at Ford. I am so excited I'm going to have dinner with Alan Mulally uh, in a couple of weeks, the CEO of Ford. Kind of a small few number of us uh are going to get together with Alan, the Ford CTO. Uh, whose name I've, I've forgotten, talk about um, the technology in Ford cars. It's really, truly amazing. And we got a couple of Ford vehicles uh, a little while ago to test drive. And I thought what we'd do is we'd, we'd get in the car and we'd do a little uh, a video of how these things work because we talk about them all the time. We never show you. So without further ado, here's Leo. That's me <laughs> showing off the uh, nav features in the 2012 Ford Focus. This week in tech, you know, you've heard me talk about my, 20, uh, my 2010 Ford Mustang and how much I love Ford Sync. The folks at Ford have just lent me the new 2012 Ford Focus. And this has got my Ford Touch as well as the Ford Sync and some really nice new features, including Wi-Fi. It's got uh, the Ford services, the Sync services, and AppLink, which allows me to play apps right from my phone. I thought I'd take you for a little ride and show you some of the things it can do. Come on. Let me just show you this screen. I'm going to keep it, I usually keep it on this, the home screen. You see all of this stuff here very easily. But the point is not to look at this screen or even touch the screen. The point is you're driving down the road. You want to keep your hands on the wheel, your eyes on the road. But I want to, let's say, find uh, somewhere I'm going to go. So I press this paddle here. That's the signal to get Sync to listen to me. Listen. Street address. In California, say a street address including the city. 140 Keller Street, Petaluma. Say a line number. One. So again, I haven't touched the screen. I haven't done anything except talk to it. I'm going to press this button. Set as destination. Setting destination. And we're on our way. But let's say we're lost. We want to go somewhere. Destination POI. By name or by category. By name. POI name. Jack in the box. So now it's going to find all the local Jack in the boxes, but there's a number of them, so I could pick which one I want. Please choose. Line one. Set as destination. Setting new destination. And now we've got a map, and it's going to walk me through it, and we're on our way to Jack in the Box. The route guidance will start now. <laughs> Thank you. There's my problem right there. <laughs> Too much Jack in the Box. <laughs> By the way, I got email from people saying, hey, you go, you went up in my estimation because uh, you played Steely Dan on your uh, sink. <laughs> And I do, I do like the Steely Dan. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Ford, for your support all year long, and uh, we hope you all try one today. De- drive one, as they say, at a Ford dealer near you. And uh, the car's voice is, it seemed a little droid-like. It's like a nice lady. Like... She's a very nice lady. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'd like to meet her someday. 
I have well, a little, I have a little probably thing for, will. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's not robotic. It's a real. It's a real human. Oh, okay. I think. Well, that's oh. actually a good question. I'll ask Alan. So, let us get you. You said there's some router news. I'm actually very curious about this. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, okay. First of all, I did want to mention that Firefox released their version nine of, or Mozilla released version nine of Firefox. And there was a glitch in the 9.00 release. So the next day, after they saw that it was crashing some people's computers, they quickly updated it to 9.0.1. And uh, you probably saw the news. I wanted to remind our listeners and and you that uh, Microsoft has announced they will be adding automatic update, that is background updating to IE starting next year. So... Everybody's getting on the bandwagon. Mozilla will be doing it with in in April with version twelve for some reason of Firefox, but nine is out. Um, they're claiming thirty six percent faster JavaScript execution for version nine as opposed to eight, which has you know been out for a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they fixed a bunch of security issues and also released uh, the uh, the similar version 9 of their Thunderbird app uh, for email and, and news. So I just wanted to make sure that our listeners knew that 9 had happened and got a quick fix. Although, although Mozilla is taking great pains at this point to say, don't worry, just like Chrome, don't think about version numbers. Right. It's just automatic. We'll take care of all that for you. Yeah. Yes. And there was some interesting SOPA news since you and I have been following this, oh, as God. have the boy. The entire industry has just yeah, gone yeah. bonkers over this. So the good news is there's there's been so much fur flying that there's just no way this is going to happen. Um, GoDaddy, that was a very visible supporter for who knows why. It must have been that the people behind SOPA went around and tried to find supporters um, they lost upwards of 70,000 domains exited GoDaddy in an active protest of GoDaddy's support of SOPA. Yeah. So GoDaddy quickly backpedaled and said, oh, that's uh, not really what we meant. And we're, that's we're BS. Now, BS. Yeah, I know. I know. Because if you look at SOPA, GoDaddy actually has an exemption. They helped write that law. There is an exemption written into the law that says, unless you're a GoDaddy domain. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, fortunately, I, we moved our stuff off GoDaddy uh, long ago. Yes. Um, and you remember that I got, I got a, a, a short-lived domain. I think is, I, was, I got a wildcard domain when I thought that my DNS spoofability test would benefit or needed for some reason. Uh, oh no, maybe it was my version. I think it was my. It was the. I was do, developing a um, a site wide, application wise, wide versioning system, and I was going to use DNS to do version testing because it was a simple thing. You know, an app could send a query, and so I wanted different domain name or like subdomains. So I used a wildcard DNS certificate that I got from from GoDaddy or no, no, I'm sorry, not a certificate, just a domain. And and what really annoyed me was that they tried to auto update or, or auto renew that domain after I had 
deliberately in, informed them I did not want to be updated. They tried to charge my credit card. And the good news was I had used a PayPal uh, one-time use credit card. So they failed at that attempt. But but the fact that they tried to do this behind my back without my permission, I thought, oh, you know, I'm glad I'm not with them. So, so, so you anyway. also left them. Yeah, although, uh, you know, one of the problems people have been having is that they're kind of sticky. They have this uh, timeout, which they've changed since people complained about it a couple of days ago. And I got stuck kind of in the GoDaddy web with a few domains, which are still over yeah. there. I'm trying to get them out of there. Uh, but, you know, but, we, 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 our advertiser is uh, Hover.com, and we've been telling people for a long time to move over to Hover.com. Yeah. I, don't, cool. I may have misstated uh, exactly GoDaddy's uh, presence in the SOPA bill. It may be other. See, they, I believe they get the closed domains get redirected to a GoDaddy dom, domain, which says closed. Mm. Um, so, but I, I have to check. I don't want to sl- slander them. I have to check to make sure. That they they say that they took their name off the list. However, their CEO Warren Edelman said fighting online piracy is of the utmost importance. That's mm-hmm. why we've been working to craft revisions to this legislation. But we can do better. And I did. You're right. I did hear that they were a a large participant in the creation of the legislation. I, I think so. they get some benefit from it. In any event, uh, I've told people to get off GoDaddy. There's, ma- as you point out, there's many other reasons it's not the best domain registrar in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, Wikipedia and many others are moving off of it, so that's good. Um, Stanford Law Review did a very nice piece called "Don't Break the Internet: An Anti-SOPA and IP Protect or Protect IP." Um, the PIPA, P-I-P-A. Uh, legislation, which is the Congress, which is the Senate's version. Um, I just tweeted the URL at my SGGRC um, Twitter feed. So I, I really commend our listeners to check it out. You can get a, a, a PDF version from that page. Just the first paragraph of that reads two bills. And, and so this is the Stanford Law Review's official position on that on these two on on SOPA and 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 PIPA said two bills now pending in Congress the I the Protect IP Act of 2011 um, in the Senate and the Stop Online Piracy Act SOPA in the House represent the latest legislative attempts to address a serious global problem large scale online copyright and trademark infringement although the bills differ in certain respects. They share an underlying approach and an enforcement philosophy that pose grave constitutional problems and that could have potentially disastrous consequences for the stability and security of the Internet's addressing system, for the principle of interconnectivity that has helped drive the Internet's extraordinary growth and for free expression. Anyway, um, it's a the whole thing is really great, and so I would recommend... If our listeners are interested, um, I don't have an – the URL is long, but if you just go to twitter.com slash sggrc, um, it's right there in my feed um, because I, I wanted all of my Twitter followers to be able to to check it out. It, it's just a great read and real, I really recommend yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's um – it's been my position all along that what's really happening is a kind of a bigger story, which is that uh, uh, the internet 
and computing in general poses such a threat to the current business models for content yes. companies. Current is yes. the important point that they yes. would like to just kind of uh, disable or break the internet, break computing with as they've tried to do uh, with DRM and so forth to protect their current business models. Uh, and you know the future really isn't in those business models anyway. So it's almost like old farts like me saying to the new generation, "Hey." You know, until we retire, would you mind doing things the old-fashioned way? <laughs> well, and, and, and Leo, with, with Tom last week, I made, the, I made the point that essentially this is a blacklisting attempt. And we already know that blacklisting doesn't work. If it, if it did, we wouldn't have any spam. Because we would have blacklisted those <laughs> right. 12 bad guys. Exactly. And that would have been the end of it. Good. That's a brilliant point. If this is such a good idea, why doesn't it work with spam? Yeah. And we know how horrible uh, maps and orbs, the, all the all the injustices done by these black hole uh, uh, services that do exactly yeah. that and don't work. And that's and also been my work. position is you can't stop piracy. Uh, pirates are very nimble. They move around. So copy protection and things like SOPA only hamper legitimate, honest people. The pirates are not dis disadvantaged in the least. And if we, if, if we were requiring... ISPs to be intercepting attempts to access these blacklisted DNS. Oh, imagine. Names. There would be a massive growing list. The the bad guys would jump over to right. new names. Right. They would get added, they would jump, they would get right. added, they would jump. I mean, it it it's just it doesn't work. It, we, it, it we know this. Work. We know it now. We I was yeah. uh, uh my domain was was blacklisted by Maps or Orbs one of those for a while. And uh it meant a lot of people who's it's funny because so few ISPs now use these black hole uh, spam fighting uh, techniques yep. that it only affected a few. But I got e emails from people saying, I don't see your email anymore. And it's because their ISPs did that. And, of course, the ISPs back down very quickly because it, it often ends up doing things like blocking Gmail, which is kind of a big thing to block. But that's <laughs> yeah. the problem with domain-level blocking. Well, I got a nice, um, a nice mention in Twitter from a Chris Carter Whose handle is is park is parking underscore god? So I guess he's he's <laughs> he must good, be good at parking. <laughs> and he said he said the exact quote is quote the net interprets censorship as damage right. and routes around exactly. it exactly. And that was John Gilmore who mm -hmm. who came up with that great phrase: the, the net interprets censorship as damage and routes around it. That's the man who founded Sun and was one of the brilliant. Uh, original cypherpunks and just a brilliant guy. And he's an EFF co-founder, too. Co-founder of EFF. Yeah. Yeah. And he's right. Anyway, okay. we know. We know. It's just the members of Congress who need a little education. Well, and boy, I think they... <laughs> there may be learning. <laughs> they certainly, yeah. They certainly realized that something happened and it wasn't good. Whoops. So, yeah. Okay, so here's our big, our big security news for the week I need everyone to pay attention to. Um, there was a feature that was that was added to WPA, Wi-Fi Protected Access, which is our state-of-the-art, very good technology for 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 encrypting um, wireless links. This thing is it's part of what's called the Wi-Fi Simple Configuration or WSC specification. And this, and this part of it is called Wi-Fi Protected Setup. Um, all major vendors, 
Cisco Linksys, Netgear, D-Link, Belkin, Buffalo, Zeitzel, um, uh, Technicolor. They all have WPS, this Wi-Fi protected setup, certified devices. And on those devices, this is enabled by default. And this may be something that some of our listeners have encountered because it's based on an 8-bit pin. So the idea is you and your device negotiate um, using this 8-bit pin. Now, I am going to cover this in detail in two weeks because this is big news. We need to understand what the problem is and how it works. But, but the short version is, even though this is an 8-bit pin, the way the protocol functions tells somebody who is guessing whether or not get the, you're not even going to believe this, Leo. I know you're sitting on your ball, so I don't have to worry about. <laughs> I you can't fall, fall over. <laughs> don't off, you're not going to fall off. Your it chair. might explode though with indignation. What? What? This protocol tells the a a attacker whether or not the first four digits of the 8-bit pin are correct, separately from the rest. <laughs> so that so, makes it really a 4-bit pin. Well, what it means is that you you can guess the first four <laughs> and separately <laughs> from the entire 8. <laughs> and, then they'll, and, what, and you keep doing it until they say yes. So that's... Got the first... Yes. Yeah, now then, I got the first four. Once you get the first four, it turns out that the last digit of the 8 is a checksum. Oh, no. So, so, so that's You, you have the last digit. So then you just need the middle three. <laughs> and and so it turns out that within within a couple hours, it is pos- on, on a router who's got a, a router that has W, that, that has this, this Wi-Fi protected setup, YPS enabled. Yeah. It's possible to negotiate <laughs> the eight-bit pin or the eight-digit pin and get into the router. So this is a, so there's a security paper being presented. Um, I've got the whole technical readout on it that is a lot more detailed. I want to do it in, in detail in two weeks. But the, the short-term immediate takeaway is simply disable Wi-Fi protected setup on your router. It's almost certain that listeners to this podcast are using strong passphrases yes. with their Wi-Fi because we know that that comp, that the way WPA can be compromised is by guessing a, an, a short or simple to guess passphrase. I would expect none of our listeners are doing that, but if they still have Wi-Fi protected setup enabled, which it is by default mm. on all routers, then this creates a backdoor independent of them having this enabled. So if you've I mean, turned that, off, that is, if you've turned off uh, uh, WAN administration, you know, the ability to log into the router from outside the router. That d- does not protect you from It this. does not, it's okay. A separate vector. Oh, so you want to turn off Wi-Fi protected setup, which is on by default on in, in your router. We'll, we're going to come back to this in two weeks, but I don't want to wait, obviously, because what's happened is the security researcher who found it documents it carefully he is not providing code but he demonstrates it and has metrics for how 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 few out how few hours it takes him 
to crack different routers. Some routers do have a lockout where after a number of mistakes, they won't accept anymore, but those lockouts self-expire. So all that does is slow someone down further. Anyway, we're, we're going to go over this in detail. It will be the topic in wow. two weeks. But in the meantime, I want our listeners to just go log into your router and you want to turn off Wi-Fi protected setup, which again, I'm, I'm almost sure no one who listens to this podcast would be using it anyway because they would know their, their gut instincts would say, wait a minute, an 8-bit pin doesn't seem like it's right. secure enough, and it's not. Turns now, out it's much less secure than we thought. This is the time of year when people go visit family and friends. Probably most of them have already done so or are there now. And probably, you know, grandma and grandpa have used WPS because it's convenient. It's, it's you know, it's yes. a new feature. You push a button, you're secure. Um, yep. If they – can they – can you – if you used it to configure everything, can you then turn it off and remain safe, or do you need to reconfigure? I don't know that. Okay. That's, I, I'm going to have to take a look at it and understand well, next it week. much more. Okay. I, yeah, I just encountered this, and I wanted to, to give everyone a heads up. So if you are visiting Grandma and Grandpa this week, turn it off. Yeah. Do, do them a favor. Yeah. Increase their security while you're there. <laughs> yeah. Now, for your benefit mostly, Leo, because you missed this last week, I wanted to aim you or take a look at this very cool new concept in captchas which we've talked about it which are very important because you're wanting to basically prove that you're not a bot and so the the one place i know this is located and i haven't looked at their source code to figure out where they got it but it's m p e m p e supportgroup.com and it's their contact form is protected by an animated CAPTCHA. And what's so cool and clever about it, and Tom and I discussed this last week, was that no single frame contains the image, but it's our our mind, our brain, that is able to integrate across so the animation that makes it very easy to read. I mean, much more. Some of these CAPTCHAs, I just say, I don't know what that is. I mean, right. I'm definitely not a bot, and I can't type that in correctly. Yeah, no, but this is easy. Yeah, isn't that neat? But we've, of course, pointed out the CAPTCHAs really are kind of dumb because what they, what, it doesn't matter how hard it is for a computer to read because what the bad guys do is they set up uh, porn sites yep. with, with the and same CAPTCHA. Have other people solving them for you. And they have humans solving it at the rate of thousands of captures a second. <laughs> and that's all they need to do. Yeah. So I don't care how good you make that. If a human can't read it, then it's safe, but then it's no good. So there you go. Yep. And I got a, a nice piece of listener feedback about my switch to DigiCert. You'll also remember that two weeks ago, Leo, there was a bit of a mystery because I, something seemed to have gone wrong with RSSL after I switched to DigiCert. And, and Lil, a.k.a. Dr. Mom, said that her organization had blacklisted GRC. It turns out they were using the WebSense provider and that WebSense provides this kind of security where because my SSL certificate was signed by someone else, that spooked them into into flagging GRC as a possible security risk, which, in fact, it, it wasn't more so than ever because I had switched to EV certs. Well, the good news is that passed. Everything's okay again. But I did get a nice note from a, a Corbett Bush, who's a network engineer, who just said, Steve, I just got finished listening to you 
talk to Leo about your experience with DigiCert. Well, our SSL certs were due to expire, and I knew that I was not going back to Network Solutions. Last time, it took me weeks to get our wildcard cert from them converted so I could put it onto our firewalls, our two firewalls. Network Solutions, who we, who we got them from, that is the, his SSL certs, refused to talk to me. So when you mentioned DigiCert several months back, I looked into them. Well, it only took me a few hours to get the new wildcard cert from them and apply it to seven web servers and three firewalls. Thank you for recommending them. They are great. So there's some additional positive experience feedback I just wanted to share to cement it. I don't intend to become a DigiCert fanboy, but boy, I'm really, really pleased with the move I made. Well done. And speaking As of fanboy, Steve. There is a place I am a fanboy, and that's when it comes to Spinrite. <laughs> um, well, it's your I got own a, product. You get to be a fanboy. <laughs> in mid-December, December 15th, I got a note from a Bob McKinstry who, who sent by way of our, our sales email contact. He said another Spinrite testimonial. He said, hey, Steve, I am a listener of Security Now since year one and a Spinrite owner. A few days ago, one of the residents in our training program asked how he could get help with his Dell laptop as our IT department doesn't support machines they don't own. The story is classic. After a power outage, his laptop would not boot into Windows and it would only blue screen, reboot and rinse and repeat. Without hesitation, I told him about Spinrite. I lent him my trusty Spinrite CD, telling him he would need to purchase Spinrite if it did fix his machine, which is all is only fair. And I, you know, that's OK. So he says, I told him he had to be patient and let the program do its work. He fired up Spinrite and went to bed. When he woke up in the morning, he was good to go just like that. Spinrite is a great product. Another drive saved. Another happy customer. Thanks for all you do with GRC, and thanks for all the great podcasts and oh, that, that you've done with Leo on the Twit Network. Bob McKinstry, St. Louis, Missouri. So thanks very much, Bob. Another happy customer. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Now, uh, let me just briefly mention Netflix, and then we're going to get a little fun, a little different kind of a show. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about sci-fi which I think is great. Steve has been a sci-fi fan since he was in Yay High. Yep. And uh, as have I. And But this is not my show, so we're going to hear Steve's recommendations. I've got pen and paper ready. You should get pen and paper ready because I suspect there's going to be books that we want to listen to or read. Some people like to actually still read. Uh, <laughs> we old farts. Yeah. Yes, you know, it's funny. I, I was having dinner uh, with uh, a bunch of Abby's... Uh, uh, classmates and um so they're all you know 1920 and i was shocked they said how much they liked paper books mm. hardcovers uh one of them is a true geek a gamer you know i mean r really a hardcore uh, computer user and he said no 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 i really like having physical books not even kindle get physical books <laughs> And, you know, Leah, one thing occurred to me, which is you can keep reading them during takeoff and landing. Yeah. Well, there's another story there. Uh, our friend Nick Bilton, who writes for the New York Times, has been doing some research. 
he took a Kindle to a uh, a lab where they test uh, electronic emissions. Ooh. And um, they tested the Kindle, and it, I can't remember the number, but it was point zero 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 two volts, something you know, two microvolts of emissions, which is so low. Yeah, uh, it's lower. I mean, it's it's basically a zip, and uh, which we know because the Kindle doesn't even even when you're except when you're turning pages, it isn't really doing anything. Correct. Uh, but even turning pages, point zero 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 two volts. So uh, and then and then uh, the the response of somebody I don't know the FEA was well well yeah but if you have a hundred of them at, at which point uh, Bill Ruck who's an old friend of mine and a uh, former radio chief engineer and RF expert Nick called on him and Ruck pointed out as you know and everybody who has any electronics background knows it it's not a multiplier a hundred Kindles right. isn't a hundred times two microvolts it would not be a coherent signal all summing together. And in yeah. fact, because and, and of course, remember, American Airlines now allows iPads in the cockpit uh, for pilots. And so they, they're saying, well, yeah, but they only have two. What if everybody in the cabin had one? No, doesn't work that way. So uh, so Nick is fighting a ridiculously uh, hopeless, chaotic, oh, but battle. Good. I'm glad somebody battle. is. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for him. Go, Nick. <laughs> yeah, but, it, you know, he's not going to happen because... No. Uh, it's, well, because they don't have to say yes. They, they don't have just to say no. They just no. say no. We we're <laughs> we're the FAA. <laughs> don't ask us. We just tell you. Anyway, yeah, I'd like to find out what emissions a pacemaker puts out. That'd well, that's the problem. And, and and actually, Nick in his article says, you know, electric shavers are legal, and they put out a huge amount of interference. As anybody who's yeah. ever stood by a radio shaving knows, right? <laughs> yeah, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what? So I can shave during takeoff, but I can't read my Kindle. No. Please. I know, I, there's no point. Every time we talk about this, I get email, as you will, uh, I'm sure, from pilots saying, well, uh, well uh, we're uh, not... Uh, so, what? If, it's, you know, you're the pilot. You get to say. You can marry people in the plane as well. Whatever. You're the boss. I don't want the plane to go down because somebody was reading a Kindle. I understand that. But uh, at the same time, it seems highly unlikely. Moving along to Netflix.com. Folks, folks, I got to tell you, Wallace and Gromit. I love Wallace and Gromit. Let's give them five stars. If you are not yet a customer of Netflix streaming, you're missing out on thousands of great movies, TV shows, all sorts of wonderful stuff that you could be watching if you... Just spent $7.99 a month for a Netflix streaming account. That's all it is. $8 a month for unlimited. No wonder 33% of all internet traffic during prime time is now Netflix streaming. No wonder. In fact, the point being that you probably already all members. So tell grandma and grandpa when you go visit them and fix their WPS. Tell them Netflix.com slash twit. Sign up today. One month free. We watched uh, Miracle on 34th Street for ho the holidays, and then it makes lots of suggestions of other movies you might want to watch. Classics. We, we missed this one, Bush Christmas. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. What could that be? Uh, I think it's in the, uh, in the um, Down Under. See, there's Ayers Rock. Ah. Anyway, I don't know. Netflix.com slash... What could that be, says Steve? Netflix.com slash twit. Give it a try today. We thank them for their support. And now it's time to go sci-fi with Steve Gibson. Okay, so I wanted to mention just 
a couple movies that I've referred to in the past. Probably, I mean, there have been so many good sci-fi movies. But uh-huh. in terms of classics, I think one of my absolute all-time favorites is a movie called This Island Earth. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, yo, Leo, you have, I'm sure you've seen it. You, you, you've, yes. You've I've seen it. it. I just don't remember it. Um, yeah, what I love about it, and I referred to it once when we were talking about the the ultra cap um, mega capacitor technology, because uh, the beginning of the movie, there's sort of an IQ test for uh, an engineer who figures prominently in the film. Um, oh, wait a minute, 19, I'm confusing. 1954. I'm confusing. There's this island Earth and... It says, um, when an alien in distress recruits American scientists, Ruth and Cal, to help him with an intergalactic battle against the right. evil Zagons, the Earthlings, Earthlings find themselves falling in love. And, yep, that's the one. And trapped and, in outer space. <laughs> and, 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 and that's where the interrocitor comes in oh. because he, he, he orders a, a replacement capacitor of some like many farads. I think I have seen this. <laughs> and it comes and it's this little tiny bead it's and they're like capacitor. Well, this can't possibly be a multi-farad, you know, 10,000 volt capacitor. So his assistant says, "Uh, I tested one and it is." And so Cal Meacham, who's our who's the, this scientist says, "No, no, no." So he sticks it on his his meter and runs the voltage up and and sure enough it gets kind of red hot but but it it is doing what it's supposed to before it blows out so he then there's like this catalog for of uh interocitor parts and he says <laughs> what's an interocitor and so they they say well it doesn't say but here's how you build one so he says okay order all the parts i'm going to build one and so he puts this thing together and that puts him in touch with the aliens. Anyway, this island Earth is uh, just a great movie. If it doesn't ring any bell, then uh, by all means. And I'm trying to by think the of way, the other one. By the way, I got to point this out. Mystery Science Theater 3000, 2000, oh. you know them, right? MSTK3. Oh, there would have been a gold mine. They have them. done it. <laughs> they, it's, oh. they did it as a feature film. Oh. It's their only feature film, so you uh, you can probably get it on you on uh, YouTube or uh, Netflix. There is a clip on YouTube which uh, somebody's just sent me called uh, "Unpacking the Interocitor." Ah, so if you're an MSTK MST three K fan, who and who isn't? Yep, uh, you can watch Joel and company dissect the Interocitor. <laughs> What fun! Okay, the other the other must see is Forbidden Planet. Um, this is the one where oh, classic Robbie the robot, you Robbie the robot and the Krell and Morbius and the the good news is the word is James Cameron is going to remake it. Oh, now see that and, would be awesome in three D oh, probably. Leo. Right? Yeah. Oh, I or four or five. I don't care how many five D. Um, oh my goodness! That uh, anyway. It is if 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 our listeners again, if somehow they missed this island Earth or they missed Forbidden Planet. Um, in fact, Forbidden Planet just had its fiftieth anniversary like a couple years ago because I because I purchased the the fiftieth anniversary special tin box with a cop with a Robbie the robot in it and. 
and other stuff. Anyway, it's that's probably my number one favorite sci-fi movie of all time. Um, it is on it is on YouTube, so I'm guessing it's probably um, this island Earth is it's probably public domain, and that's I'm sure why Mystery Science Theater three thousand could have could do it. Ah, so you don't even have to get this on Netflix, which you can if you want the highest quality, but you could you could watch it on uh, vintage video on Mevio. Then, of course, we have The Day the World, or is it, wait, The Day the World? Earth. The, the Day the Earth. The Earth. Classic. Yeah, I wrote World, but I know it's Earth, yes. Klaatu the original one. Barada Nikto. That's right. They did yep. remake that one. I never saw the remake. I didn't want to yeah, see it. Yeah, I did, and it wasn't, you know, because yeah. I mean, I mean I, I'll, I'll see anything if it's got sci-fi <laughs> in, like, in it. It's like, okay, I got to see that. So, but again, yeah, The Day the Earth Stood Still, mm. another just fantastic piece of work which i've seen i've seen well i've seen them all all of these things multiple times because it's not just about how it comes out at the end it's just you know great filmmaking well and for what it's worth uh kurt russell's version of the thing was another just fantastic piece of science fiction so this uh, is one this is when you get to movies this is when our chat room goes crazy (laughs) <laughs> and and has many many suggestions as do I. I could think of a lot of great science fiction movies. Yeah, um, that's a kind of I know, you got to include the Matrix, maybe one of the best of all time. Oh, again, yes, Blade Runner, two thousand one, yep. um, Space Odyssey. Yeah, right? I mean, uh, some there's some classic, yeah. classic movies, and I guess and, we'd have to and, put and Pie is another great sort of a wacky movie, but real also very Pie good. is good. Yeah, I like that's more recent. And I, yes. you know, people are going to yell at us. You can't leave out Star Wars. Yeah, I know. Or Star yeah. Trek. I personally would leave Star Wars out. You know, I was in the theater yesterday, and um, they're going to re-release Episode One in 3D. <laughs> eh. And just the thought of Jar Jar Binks in 3D is just—I'm oh. sorry—it's terrifying. I can't handle it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Um, for the sake of people who have not been reading sci-fi as long as I have, I mean, I know that we have a, a, a great younger listenership. Um, arguably one of the past masters of science fiction, the name will probably be well, will be well known to everyone, Isaac Asimov. Um, Isaac is credited with and, and did invent the the so-called three laws of robotics. Um, The first law is a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. The second law is a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And the third law of robotics is a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. So, so he, you know, he carefully thought out if you, if you, you know, imagine a future where you actually have powerful machines which could hurt people, how would you integrate those into society what what what, like fundamental like hard wiring would you put in their brains in their positronic brains which is what asimov had um that that made them safe and so these 
three laws is, is what he came up with. Well, there's a series of novels which are just fantastic. They're, they're called, they're Isaac Asimov's robot novels. They're mysteries. So they're not just, you know, sci-fi. They, I mean, they are science fiction, but they are really, they're literature. They're really well-written mystery novels featuring a human detective, Elijah Bailey, and his robot sidekick, uh, uh, whose name is R. Daniel Oliva. Um, so the four books are, the first one is The Caves of Steel, then The Naked Sun, The Robots of Dawn, and Robots and Empire. Now, and, I think when you say the, robot, the robotic rules, people think I, Robot, which was a short story. Yes. Was that yes, the first was. was that the first mention of the laws? I think it might have been. Uh, it in fact I they there's iRobot and then I think that was packaged in a book of short stories. Right. right. That were lots of different things. And I, and I think you're right. I think they that the rules appeared in one of those stories. And then he explored for I think maybe another 20 years. I don't know how long it took him to write these four robot books. But he explored the implications of all of that. Yeah, in fact, that, that's one of my very favorite um, mechanisms for science fiction is where, where what happens is not just arbitrary, but where some set of, of clear limitations are imposed and then the story is written against those. And so, exactly as you said, Leo, these three rules are used intrinsically in the fiction which which Asimov created. And because he was a great writer and and also a scientist and 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 produced some just some really compelling books. You know, their their science fiction in in where they're in, in their their settings and in in what they do and how they do it, but just I can't recommend them highly enough. So it's yes, you know, there and and we should mention there are other Isaac Asimov books that anybody who wants to be well versed in, in science fiction has to read all of them. But the Foundation yep. trilogy is yep. is brilliant. Um, what would you recommend? I'm going to ask you this each time, by the way. So prepare yourself. Let's assume nobody's read any of these. Like my kids. I, you know, it's funny. I gave my, my son two books for Christmas uh, saying these are, the must, these are, in my opinion, the two must-read science fiction books to get you started. One was Heinlein's... Um, mm. uh, which um, I want, I want to, it's not The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, the other one. And <laughs> anyway... A Stranger in a Strange Stranger Land. Stranger in a Strange Land. Yep. And now, and I wanted to get him into modern sci-fi, so I did gave him William Gibson's Neuromancer. And I thought those two would get you started. But now, if you were like my son, now my son, what would what would you be the first Asimov book you'd read? Childhood's End? Boy. Uh, boy. <laughs> that's tough. That is tough. I mean, The Caves oh, of Steel. That's Arthur C. Clarke. I wouldn't say that. Caves of Steel. Yeah. yeah. The Caves of Steel is so good. And, 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 and for me, I mean... And and we know that I mean we're going to see a bias in in the next half hour as I go through this because I like investing in something and then right. having that investment pay off. We know that about you. You're an yes. in, you're an in depth kind of guy. 
Deep, yes. not shallow. And so, you know, much as I, I invested in learning JavaScript this year, and look what happened. You know, we got all kinds of cool <laughs> JavaScript things. We got, you know. And uh, we should also uh, mention that you are a hard sci-fi lover. I think we should probably say that right up front. That very good point. You don't like fantasy, swords. You don't like. No, I don't uh, know why unicorns are in the same <laughs> aisle. So this, you know, this everything we're, you're going to get here today, and I'm, I'm with you, by the way. Is hard sci-fi, and what? And by that we mean real science, lots of it. Yes, it yes. could be. And it could be made-up science, uh, like that supercapacitor. Although it turns out that maybe that's not so made-up nowadays. Not so much. Yeah. Um, but 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 I and I think that there's a reason why hard science sci-fi is important. I think almost every scientist I've ever talked to, and I ask them this frequently. Um, says that they were influenced in the kinds of research they did by sci-fi, particularly by hard sci-fi. And so, in a way, it's inventing the future. Well, and we've seen how often we, scientists, I mean, I mean, science fiction authors are predicting right. where we're headed. That would be my position. They're not predicting. They're leading. Yeah. They're, that the scientists of tomorrow are reading sci-fi today and getting inspired to build. The one exception is flying cars. Everything else they're trying to, they're trying to build. <laughs> and maybe, who knows, maybe they're trying to build flying cars. Today. Yeah, and Leo, you know, given, given the trouble we have with, uh, with malware and viruses and things, I'm no longer a big <laughs> fan of flying cars. No, I'm with, yeah, maybe I that's just why. think it would be a flying disaster. Flying disaster. Anyway, I didn't mean, yeah. sorry for the digression, but I, I did want no. to qualify what you're going to hear today. No, and I, I think for you and me discussing this is a lot of the value that we have for our listeners. So, you know, by all means, um, one of my other favorite older school books, though not as old as Asimov, is and we've talked about this before. Is Larry Niven's book titled Protector? Yeah, that's a wonderful um, book. Oh gosh, yeah, and and one and one of the things I also like about these books and and Asimov's robot novels have it, and Protector does, and so does one that he co- that Niven co-wrote with, with Jerry Pornell, which is The Mode in God's Eye. Another great one is I love it when I'm surprised. I'm loved. I love it when, when the author and sure this is contrived, but you know that's their right. And as the reader, I, I'm a, I'm looking for something fun and that I didn't expect instead of just sort of a documentary. I don't want that. I mean that's okay, but I'd rather have lots like something that I didn't expect. And Protector is one of the best examples of that where you're. You're going along and the story is interesting. You're engrossed and engaged, but you didn't expect what's coming. (laughs) And bang, it hits you and suddenly everything changes. I mean, it it fits together, but it's like you're turned upside down in, in what you were, in the model that you were building in your mind when some additional facts come together. And and it's a great story, not super long. So, you know, it won't tie you up forever, but I really do recommend it. If you haven't read Larry Niven's Protector, um, it's it's really good. And I've read it a couple times. Another footnote. Yep. <laughs> First of all, and, don't oh, worry good, about good. spoilers because Steve is not going to give you spoilers, I can guarantee you. I never you. do. He's yep. really good about that. So people in the chat room are saying, oh, I'm covering my ears. Don't worry, he won't. Nope. Mm-mm. 
Uh, but I will say this about Protector, which I love, and I love Larry Niven. It is old sci-fi, and sometimes when you read older sci-fi, it feels a little dated. Protector and all of Heinlein's books, for instance, Heinlein's yep. books are really sexist. Protector, it just feels like it was written in the 50s. And so it's important to read these books, I think, but don't be put off by the... Remember when that it was written 30 or 40 years ago. Um, so I think Protector is one of the best books, but I also think you must read Ringworld. Yeah, good point. Ringworld is classics. It's, it's, classics. And sci-fi. Ringworld is an example of what you were talking about, which is start with a premise. I think all the best sci-fi does this. Then explore, then expand based on the premise. And Ring, Ringworld's a perfect example of that. Uh, what if aliens built a Ringworld? And I'll leave it at that. What would happen? And then I think I think what happens with Larry and other great authors is they just go. They say, that's that's the starting line. Go. Yep. Yep. So I, I would I would throw in Ringworld as a, as another great recommendation. And uh, and and also the Mode in God's Eye mm. is is another. Oh, yes. um, it's a collaboration of Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell. Um, Jerry, whom you also had feels on. dated, by the way. Yep. Uh, so just remember that when you read these, remember you're reading the classics. Yep. And speaking of classics, there is a series that that I really liked also when I was now I, I almost ought to reread one to see how I feel about it now but they are the Berserker novels by Fred Saberhagen or Saberhagen um, they're, they're novels and short stories um, the, the if okay the, the, the one thing that I think of that's more contemporary was one of the Original Star Trek episodes, the you know Kirk and Spock and McCoy Star Trek first, the first iteration of Star Trek. It was an episode that was titled "The Doomsday Machine." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it was this long cone-shaped thing that was that was going around killing stuff, <laughs> and and it was a berserker. Anyway, the point is that the the mythology behind these berserkers is that. No one really knows where they came from. It's it's posited that ancient alien races built them to automate their war against each other and that presumably the alien, the biological aliens got wiped out, but the machines being machines and, and also being... Um, sentient to different degrees and able to repair themselves they kept on so and and the bad news is you know maybe their programming got altered by you know a a um a cosmic ray that zapped and flipped a bit or something who knows but what we have what we have in these novels are very competent killing machines and and what I remember of them, and I mean, I loved them a lot, was, again, really well-written, really clever, really interesting stories set in this future where biological life, you know, us, we humans, are out in space and encountering these machines that for no reason whatsoever want to kill us. Because that's the way they're programmed. And 
and, and some of them are old and decrepit. Some of them are new. So, I mean, there's just there's a this a huge spectrum of of treatments of just from from this basic kernel of a concept, a, a machine designed to to kill biological life. All these amazing stories come from it. Yeah. So yeah. so again, if if it's if it's something it, 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 that you've missed. Peter F. Hamilton used that premise for Pandora's Star, right? Yeah, in a way. Actually, yeah, a different one. There, it was that not all life has to be like ours. Right. right. That you could that it would be possible. He he gave us a compelling backstory for how mechanical life could actually evolve and that have is, no regard for biological life. Absolutely, just that's in the way. Yeah, right. That you know those stinky biological life forms. Yeah. Anyway, but so I haven't. You know, it's funny. I have not read these uh, Fred Saber. Oh, Leo. I don't. I, I mean, they're old. I don't know if if they would have been audibleized. They are. But, I'm looking at them. They're all on audible. Ooh. By the way, I'm showing uh, another footnote for those watching on video. I will from time to time show uh, the titles that Steve's mentioning on Audible.com. So far, all of them. Except for unaccountably the fourth uh, robot novel, hmm. uh, they've only done three of the four, and I think that that's probably because they're doing Audible. We should mention Audible, longtime sponsor of this show and all of the Twit Network, um, has a science fiction branch called Frontiers, where they're re-record or recording for the first time in many cases the f- audiobooks of the classics. So my suspicion is because they were never, you know, nobody when these came out. I mean, nobody. Nobody, I don't know who who it was, Tor or whoever published the Berserkers in the first place, thought mm-hmm. that anyone would want audio versions. So they didn't have the money and they didn't do it. So Audible, because they are sci-fi fans, and I know this for a fact, uh, when they first when I first started with Audible in 2000, there were very few sci-fi novels because nobody recorded these. They built nine studios in their Newark offices and they've been recording like madmen ever since. And now there are thousands of titles, including all of these Berserkers on uh, audio, modern recordings of them, which I think is fantastic. Well, there, there, I mean, there are so many books which I can, I can assert are really good. Um, so, I mean, I know. <laughs> our listeners have their homework cut out for them. The but- other thing I would say before you go on is that, uh, and thanks to Strength in the chat room for pointing this out, of course, most of these are also available on Kindle. And if you're an Amazon Prime member... They've made many of the classic sci-fis available for free to Prime wow. members. So um, if you go to Kindle eBooks and Science Fiction, there's 21,000-plus results there. But many of them are free to Prime members. So if you've been thinking, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to spend millions of dollars on all of these things that, that, that Steve is recommending, lots of them are available for Kindle for free, which is really So I neat. can, without reservation, I can say try... One of the Berserker novels, yeah. these Fred Saberhagen, and see if they hook you because, oh, I mean, I still, I still have mental imagery from some, and it's been, it's been thirty or forty years well, I since I, I don't know, maybe not I will forty. Have to try <laughs> these, and they, uh, Berserkers: The Beginning is available um, uh, both on Audible and in paperback on Amazon, and it's not on the Kindle. Ah. Which is so not surprised. St- I so mean, strange. Well, do, so do you have a date? Um, it says 1998, but that's not right. No, 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 no. no. That's that's no, when the that's when this paperback was published. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the original uh, date is. I'm sure the chat room will provide this momentarily for me. I think it's odd that there's no Kindle version of that. There is a whole Wikipedia page on on the Berserker uh, well, novels. I haven't read any of these. They, they, I'm, I'm adding them to my list. They really are. They're, they're awesome. just... It's just, again, people will know what I mean more maybe when they encounter it, but it's, they're just such clever stories around the concept. And, and there's something, you know, I mean, it's, I guess it's one of the hooks that, that, that um, Peter Hamilton used with Pandora Star because th- these are, you know, machines that have no remorse, no conscience, no, no, don't care about us at all. And, and why so, should they? I mean, we assume that aliens would be like us, but no, of course not. They don't have to be. Yeah, so they're as alien as as you could want anything to be, and and so it it just it creates an emotional, you know, an emotional uh, power that that there's this machine that you know just doesn't want to leave you alone. It's pissed off that you exist. So. It's like, ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, actually, in the in the Hamilton, it's not even pissed off. It's just you, you know, it it doesn't have any uh, even any um, nope, uh, no conscience, no feeling. no ethics, no morality. No, it's just we want know, that. We're going to take it. Sorry, right. uh, bye. Not even sorry. See ya. Nineteen sixty three. Uh, let's see. The first Berserker was written in sixty uh, five, I think. Wow. Okay. So, so that's how yep. old those are. Yeah. Yep, I was ten years old. But he's but he continued to write them for twenty years. They're more. so good, Leo. They're so good. Yeah. So yeah. again, I wanted to go back in time a little bit to, to help our listeners flesh out some of this background, some of the classic stuff, which is just spectacular. Okay. Before you move on from classics, though, can I throw in a couple? Please. I mentioned Heinlein already. You got to read yep. Heinlein. Stranger in a Strange Land is like. Considered by many the greatest sci-fi of all time. I think it's dated now, but I think you got to read it. Um, we didn't mention Philip K. Dick. I don't know how you feel about uh, him. Oh, I think Philip K. Dick is a spectacular author, and he did many short stories which have been turned into movies. Right. I mean, we don't really have to tell Runner. people. Yeah, we don't have to tell people about him anymore because he's being discovered by Hollywood. Right. So. <laughs> Uh, you know the, the the movie Screamers was also based on a Philip K. Dick short story. Oh, so many uh, Minority yeah. Report. Uh, I mean, I can go on and on and on. Um, yep. The uh, Blade Runner is based on do what is it? Do electric? Do androids dream of electric sheep? Sheep. Yep. Um, that's a must read. Um, <laughs> just I, this just in <laughs> from Jammer B, who is apparently also a sci-fi uh, crazed fellow, as we all are. Uh, he mentions the three stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. Yeah, that's a short story. Most of Dick's stuff is short stories. Um, there's one he wrote, and I can't remember the name of it, where advertising is everywhere. Huh? Eldridge is a novel? Okay. That's a classic. And uh, and the, the Man in the High Castle, which is maybe not your cup of tea, Steve, because it's revisionist history novel. Mm. He was, Philip K. Dick was a big idea guy. That's why movies, right. movies love him. Uh, and again, not... Uh, not hard sci-fi, so maybe doesn't belong on your list, but I agree with Jammer B. We've got to include Dune. Oh, yeah. But that's not hard sci-fi by any means. That's a fantasy novel. So we'll leave that out. Um, yeah, but good, but, but you know, good, good. sci-fi. Well, okay. Yeah. Just wanted to, another footnote, sorry. 
And I'm sure okay, we're leaving so stuff out. So a a a huge author that we've talked about often, yeah, huge in in many senses, not physically large, but the 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 novels that he produces, Peter F. Hamilton. Love him. Oh, and he's a modern if, guy. I think he's one of the the, the giants of modern sci-fi, hard sci-fi. I I think so. And boy, um, he started in the mid '90s with a a psychic detective who um, was named Greg Mandel, and the 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 um, the books are or were out of print. I remember hearing someone say that they were coming back. In fact, I remember hearing myself say it <laughs> because because I I ran across it being said or being written somewhere. But he's got Mind Star Rising, A Quantum Murder, and The Nanoflower, which is that was my introduction to Peter Hamilton back then, um, back in the mid-90s when this was beginning to happen. That is when, when he was beginning to happen. Then, of course, he did the Night's Dawn trilogy, which people went nuts over. Um, it's huge epic space opera. Uh, 1.2 million words in in the books. They are huge, three huge hardbacks, or they're broken down into six large paperbacks. Um, it lost me a little bit, Leo, because it slipped away from hard sci-fi. You know, I mean, when you've got dead people coming back, it's like, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I agree. Al Capone killed that novel for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he spent a little too much time on that stuff. And it's like, uh, okay. Um, I loved the sci-fi portions of it. Um, and and some, there are some great characters in there. Um, but it was like, uh, okay, it's, not, it's nothing I would read again. I agree. Um, and, too, and, and very uh, long. He likes to write. Oh, which is why we yes. recommend Fallen Dragon as the starting point, right? I, think. I was just going to say yeah. that, exactly that. If someone wants a beautiful introduction... To Peter Hamilton, I, I've read Fallen Dragon, I think, three times now. Just, again, I'm that way. I, it's, even though I know what the story is, if, an, if a writer really does a beautiful job of, of painting imagery for me, it's like, oh, I, I, I'm ready to read that again. So, I mean, for the experience. So, th- so Fallen Dragon, absolutely. And then, you know, Pandora's Star, which is the first of of two it's then and, and the sequel the, the 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 finishing of that story uh that we that we mentioned of a of a mechanistic thing which creates itself on a planet and then and then hampers us is judas unchained so yeah. pandora's star and judas unchained both uh, um, both uh, steve and i had the mis- great misfortune of reading pandora's star before Hamilton had finished Judas Unchained. I knew, I knew you were going to say that, Leo. <laughs> we yes, were, we were left it's hanging. Like, ah, no, what it happened? Is, so, uh, yeah, read Fallen Dragon if you like that. Then Pandora's Star, and then leave. Uh, I think you could actually ignore uh, the Dreaming Void entirely. The whole Void trilogy. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't think it's bad. I think he's a brilliant. He, unlike many of these guys, he's actually a I think a very accomplished writer in the craft of of fiction yes. 
Uh, sci-fi yeah. does not always is not always well written in that sense. Characters are sometimes Heinlein's a good example. Characters are paper thin, but you read them for the ideas, for the inspiration, for the excitement, for the plot. Yep. Um, Hamilton, you can read for the characters, for the descriptions. It's beautiful stuff. Oh, and and Pandora Star is is well, Pandora Star and and Judas Unchained. They create what is known as the Commonwealth, where this is. The far future where you've got regeneration, people, people's consciousness living on for, you know, hundreds and in fact thousands of years. Fantastic characterizations that he does. But again, long and uh, and although I'd really thought Pandora Star was was really well really worth good. it. Yeah. I just yep. say stick with those two. That, that, so, I mean, that's three three books. that's going to keep it going for a while. Oh goodness, yes, because <laughs> um, he does he doesn't write anything short. Right. Well, Fallen Dragon is one, and by the way, unfortunately, not on Audible. I, which mm. I'm sure they're going to record it because they have all of the Void trilogy and Pandora's Star and Judas Unchained. Yeah, they'll probably just work it. They're to, getting there, you know, catch up, working up to it. <laughs> so another very different author, but a, one of my favorites, who I have mentioned many times, is Michael McCullum. Um, he is actually a rocket scientist. Um, <laughs> he, he designed a pump that's on the International Space Station. He replaced some of the problems at Chernobyl, and he's an aerospace engineer. Despite that fact, he's also a great storyteller. And he has a, a website, sci-fi-az, S-C-I-F-I-A-Z.com. And I know from our correspondence, because in fact I have I edited the last of his Gibraltar series books because I I'm a very slow and careful and methodical reader. And what I was doing was as I was reading previous books of his in E format, I would just Mark up, uh, I think it's one I was using, I was reading on the Palm Pilot of all things, or, or one of the Palm, the T3, I think it was. It was very easy to just make a highlight and, and save it into a file. So I would send him my file of little typos that I would find. And so he finally said, okay, I give up. I'm going to let you, you know, read <laughs> <Edit> these. these. <laughs> yeah, edit these. Um, so, uh, okay, so he's got a couple multi-book series, which are also at the top of my list. I would not call them literature in the sense that Hamilton almost qualifies as a literary creator, but, oh my goodness, they are fun. It's absolute hard sci-fi, tons of new ideas. Um, and, and so there, there's something called the Antares series, which are three books, Antares Dawn, Antares Passage, and Antares Victory. And from his own side, I just snipped this so I, so I could share it to give you a sense for the introduction. He says, this is again, not a spoiler. This is, you know, his little uh, brief, you know, sort of intro to the book. He said, when the supergiant star Antares exploded in the year 2512, the human colony on Alta found their pathway to the stars gone, isolating them from the rest of human space for more than a century. Then one day, a powerful warship materialized in the system without warning. 
Alarmed by the sudden appearance of such a behemoth, the commanders of the Alton Space Navy dispatched one of their most powerful ships to investigate. What the ASNS Discovery finds when they finally catch the intruder is a battered hulk manned by a dead crew. That is disturbing news for the Altons, for the dead battleship was so powerful that it could easily have defeated the entire Alton Navy. If it could find Alta, then so could whoever it was that beat it. Something would have to be done. So what Michael creates here is a, an interstellar travel technology that is based on gravity wells created by stars. So when this Antari star exploded, the mapping that they had done or the, the throughways through hyperspace that, that were all about gravity wells of stars, the loss of this star scrambled all of their mapping and they were stranded. And something else happened at some point that that recreated some throughways. And anyway, it's it's just again, it it is really good storytelling and a little bit of romance. He always throws some in, which is kind of fun. Uh, some you know on 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 the human interest side, but just lots of great um, uh, story in there. And so. There's the, the, that, that trilogy, the Antares Dawn, Antares Passage, and Antares Victory, I recommend without, without question. And I've also me- mentioned and recommended, because it was happening with us during this podcast, the Gibraltar series that Michael created, Gibraltar Earth, Gibraltar Sun, and Gibraltar Stars. There, he has a re- – he posits a really interesting – situation where by mistake we discover that we're not alone at the at the point where the books begin we've we've we're beginning to colonize um our radio bubble is expanding at light speed which of course is the is the term for the electromagnetic energy that the earth has has been producing ever since I Love Lucy was, you know, being beamed out on, on television and so forth. So that's expanding. We suddenly discover that by some coincidence, we have not been, we've not come to the attention of an incredibly powerful, but also incredibly xenophobic race, which w- wouldn't be happy at all to know that we're here in its backyard. And so this isn't a, 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 a concept I had seen before, and what Michael does with it is just fabulous. So, again, that's the Gibraltar series. And then he has a number of standalone, not, not, uh, standalone novels, The Sales of Tau Ceti, uh, a book called Life Probe, and, and uh, Procyon's Promise. So, anyway, I've never read anything he's done that has disappointed me. Um, also, they're available in every conceivable ebook format. He is selling them on Amazon, um, so you can get them for the Kindle. He is selling them on his own website, and they are not copy protected, which 
you know, I mean, here's someone who more than anyone I can suggest is owed the money that you would pay for his books. But it's nice to know that you can buy them once, get them in every format, stick them on, you know, so somewhere safe on a thumb drive, and they are future-proof. Because these, if you're a person like me who likes to reread things, um, I, I just can't, I, I can't recommend them enough. They're, they're, it's, again, great sci-fi. Highly agree. Now, um, the Lost Fleet series by Jack Campbell, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. Um, I've mentioned these because I read them during the podcast's life. And they are also really good. And I know from the feedback I've received from our listeners that who have followed the recommendation, they've loved them. There are a, another really interesting concept. Here, in the, in the future... We've uh, humanity has been sort of split into two halves that are at war, and by a fluke, the the life pod and this is not giving anything away that you get this in the first few pages of the first book. The life pod containing an old warrior is found, and this Captain John Geary is resuscitated near death but brought back to life um and it turns out that by a fluke he's he ends up in well he's the most senior officer they have because he received his commission hundreds of years before um and they go by you know the date of commission so he uses that in order to to get command at a time that's necessary what's wonderful about these and and people with a really good memory will remember this because I've mentioned this before is we're dealing with huge fleet engagements where he's configuring the, the, the physical layout of fleets, which are meeting, which are meeting each other in space battles. Um, all of these writers are careful to impose very clearly explained limits on their technology. So, for example, Mike, Michael McCullum is faithful to speed of light problems and and comes up with, with drive technology, which, which coherently fits the story really well. Jack Campbell does the same thing there. I, I remember as I was reading these, really getting an appreciation for the how daunting it is to operate in planetary size space if you don't have just you know faster than light light than light technology at your fingers but you got to spend all this time accelerating your ships and then de and then turning them around and decelerating them but anyway uh he's got a series of uh, the called the lost fleet series um dauntless fearless courageous valiant relentless and victorious which are just they're they're really nice reads not super long um but but really great and he started now another series of two dreadnought follows on from that and then invincible is another one which will be coming uh later this year so 
um, those two will will be following the original Lost Fleet series, um, and uh, they're just spectacular. So, um, the last author that I've mentioned before, I'm a little hesitant because the fifth book is not finished. Um, uh, the author is Graham Sharp Paul, who creates a character named Michael Helfort, H-E-L-F-O-R-T. And the series is Helfort's War. We we are introduced to Michael as he's graduating from the equivalent of Starfleet, you know, from wh- whatever Star Academy this is. And I assumed that the series was finished but it's not. Um, I thought that book four was the end, but we only got sort of half of book four, and I'm still waiting for five. So it might be something that you'll want to wait for until you hear from me that that we're finished. But I really did enjoy the books. Um, they were they were also really good. And I will I will finish with where I currently am. I've mentioned these a couple times. I'm now at in book ten of the Honor Harrington series by David Weber. Um, he has something um, collectively known as the Honorverse, which is his very large um, science fiction, future humanity, um, which is really good. However, I have to say that they're maybe a little too political. Um, I like politics, and even someone who likes politics is thinking, "Okay, come on, let's get on with this." Um, we're, you know, we're spending a little too much time here. I want to, I want a little more space battle and action. The beginning of them, up through book seven, I, I thought was really good. I mean, I, I, and I remember telling people, I mean, I was choked up reading the, the, the <laughs> these books in several places. They're just very powerful and i'm a sucker for you know fa- um you know duty and honor and and uh sort of the the whole military ethics stuff which which these are steeped in but he's in in going for 12 books which is what the whole series encompasses um we we end up he's he broadens them out creating a a world that is very complex, and in order to keep everything knit together, he gets into a lot of detail. And my sense is they're they're accurate in as much as yes, all of the things he's talking about had to happen and have to happen. But oh, it, it it's just it's a little by book ten, it's like okay, it's seeming a little long. So it it is not the case that anything is unfinished. Whereas some of these, you really, for example, the Lost Fleet series, you need to go through, you need to get through the end of the sixth book in order to get the end of it. With the Honor Harrington series, you would be fine if you went for half of them and just said, okay, I've had enough. I mean, I and I'm really glad I'm reading them, but they fall a little bit short of my, my enthusiastic, um, you know, recommendation without any equivocation at all because it is dragging a little bit at this point (laughs) by book number 10 but for everything else wow um i just i recommend everything wholeheartedly all right 
the chat room's loving this. One of the reasons I know this is a great subject is because it stimulates conversation. Everybody has their favorite, right? And yes. so people are throwing in their favorites. I'm going to throw in a couple. Good. First of all, one that I've not read, but Jammer B has been saying, you, if Steve likes big, which we know Steve does, he says you've got to read, and I think one of the reasons you haven't is because it's not available electronically, the Tad oh. Williams Otherland series. And I haven't read these either, but I see them in the bookstore all the time. You know, if you browse sci-fi, you can't miss them because they occupy so much shelf space. But uh, he says they're great, but not Kindle and not Audible. So that, for me, is a disadvantage. So it's called Otherland. Otherland by Tad Williams. He says Tad it's a Williams. big series. And uh, he, uh, he takes off on the metaverse concept. And if we're going to say metaverse, I mentioned already William Gibson's Neuromancer. You've got to mention Neil Stevenson and Snow Crash. One yeah. of the great, if, if, you know, Neil has a problem with finishing books. <laughs> so sometimes, and this is not unusual in, in, in all kinds of authorship, but uh, the big books, sometimes they trail off at the end and Neil's notorious for that. Snow Crash, a good example. But the first chapter of Snow Crash, if you read nothing else, if you haven't read the first, go to the bookstore and just pick it up and read the first chapter and put it back. You got to read that. <laughs> Especially if you're, it, you just got to read it. And you probably and if, will if continue. To, if you're able to put it yeah, back, exactly. then it's just <laughs> then it's as not well, good. But you probably won't be able to. When we were talking classics, I, I briefly accidentally mentioned Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke, but you've got to read Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah. And uh, Childhood's End is in a category of sci fiction uh, that I love, which not it's hard science, twist ending. And I love the big twists. And as long as we're mentioning big twists, Childhood's End is one. I don't think that spoils it to say that there's a surprise. The other is Orson uh, Scott Card's Ender's Game. Oh, Ender's Game. Game. Yep. Wonderful book. Yep. Uh, there's a whole series of uh, mixed uh, value, but you've got to read Ender's Game. Yeah, and, and there again, that's one where it's just a great concept. Yeah. It's, I mean, you, you just need to be exposed to the whole Ender's Game concept. Really interesting. Now, you, you, we, we conditioned this at the beginning saying it's hard science. So, of course, you didn't mention uh, two that the chat room loves. Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm glad you mentioned it. You're right. But, it's oh not my science. God, it's, it's the funniest it's funny. stuff I have ever read in my life. So, I, I mean, a, a separate category. Cleverly funny, yeah. yes. And that actually started not as a novel, but as a radio show. He wrote the radio show, then novelized it. And yeah. if you're interested in funny sci-fi slash fantasy, Terry Pratchett's uh, Discworld series is mm. very, very funny and very, very good. And then I'm going to throw in, uh, and we've been talking about, and of course, there. Are, what's nice about sci-fi is there are a lot of new guys and gals writing sci-fi uh, and taking it in very exciting and interesting directions. Steve has mentioned a few. Um I like one, and I don't know if you've ever... This is real hard science. Stephen Baxter, have you ever read any of his stuff? Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Um, um, all of his, his time series. Time and, series, yeah. Yep. And I liked Evolution, which isn't really sci-fi, but it's a fascinating book in which he, tra he, he begins at the beginning of life and continues through the end of the galaxy in one novel. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much plot, but it's, it's, it's um, an exercise, I think, in uh, brilliance. Wow. Yeah. It's called Evolution. Um, and and we've There's left out called, many. 
Oh, I know. I mean, there's a book called Eon. I think Eon was written by Greg Eon Bear. It's wonderful. If I remember. Uh, in fact, I've been. Uh, it's funny that you should say that because I love uh, Greg Bear's stuff. Yes. And uh, I was going to mention him. Some of his stuff is not hard sci. Some of it is. I think he's one of the one of the best current practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, I love his stuff. He yeah. Wrote- also, I skipped Gregory Benford, who um, is a is a renowned physicist and astrophysicist. Um, I did read during the last couple of years the Galactic Center Saga, which is um, another organic versus machine story. Um, really good novels, amazing characterization. I mean, I still have, I have the characters he created in my head. I mean, they're, they just, they, they stay with you. Um, in the Ocean of Night, Across the Sea of Stars, The Great Sky River, Tides of Light, Furious Gulf, and Sailing Bright Eternity is, is his galactic center saga, um, which takes us also from Earth to the center of the galaxy, which is what made me think of it when you're talking about the entire life of the galaxy. And talking about uh, scientists who write great sci-fi, and we've mentioned this before, I know you like his stuff, uh, David Brin. And the the Uplift series, amazing. So what's great, what's great news is, if you're interested in sci-fi, there's a huge selection. You've got to read the classics, which we've mentioned. And then you'll find that there are modern practitioners who are taking it to the next level. In many yeah. ways, and of course, you got to read uh, William Gibson uh, and Neuromancer, especially. Which when I re- Neuromancer for me was like Matrix. When I saw the Matrix movie, I went out of there thinking my world has changed. And when I read Neuromancer, I felt the same thing. Uh, yeah. Just really, really brilliant stuff. So wow, we've given people probably eighty years worth of reading <laughs> between the two of us. Yeah, lots of fun Good stuff. Good I'm stuff. so glad we did this. Uh, yes, Audible does have uh, all of uh, Orson Scott Card's uh, stuff, including Ender's Game. Ender's Game you'll like. Ender's Game is yeah. uh, what turned my son on to sci-fi because it's about a kid. Yep, exactly. And, uh, and a kid who, uh, I think it's safe to say, saves the universe. So is that a spoiler? Maybe I've done that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. But uh, it's fascinating. And, uh, and uh, he that turned Henry on. And then he went on to read, and this is... Sci-fi as well in a modern uh, fashion. Da- Daniel Suarez's books, Demon and yep. Freedom TM, both of which you loved, I know, and are brilliant. Yep. So, wow. <laughs> We're there gonna, it is. We have to stop. <laughs> Big reading list. Really, really great stuff. Uh, Steve, it's, it, this year and every year, I just uh, one of the things I'm so grateful for is a chance to do this show with you. Your friendship, too, which has always been uh, just cherished by me i want to thank you for a great year of great shows and all i can say is we all look forward to security now in 2012 well and we already have a backlog of topics we we, we got <laughs> what a surprise you thought when we started this show six years ago oh we'll never be able to go for more than a year we'll run out of material Nuh-uh. yep Nuh-uh. no no <laughs> and it's funny too because i ran across somewhere um, maybe it's on the page, but you know we had this concept of a twenty, a little twenty, a quick twenty-minute synopsis of what happened during the week. And I don't, I think the, I know that the early podcasts were very short compared to the eh, we normally run about ninety yeah. to a hundred minutes or yeah. so, yeah. and uh, with you know never a stop. So 
Yes, I think uh, there's no end in sight, as no. they say. And we uh, and we we plan. We won't make the show longer, I don't think. But uh, no, we plan. It would just exhaust ourselves. <laughs> but thank you for all the hard work you put into the show. Always a pleasure, and so it's great working with you, Leo. Thank I really you. enjoy it, and look forward to many more years. Do go back to our backlog, uh, uh, our back catalog of 333 episodes now, all yeah. on uh, Steve's site in 16 kilobit versions. He's also made transcriptions available, which is fantastic. So if you listen to this and say, I, 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 I missed, I missed, in a couple of days, Elaine will have transcribed it and you'll be able to go and search through all of them and cut and paste the stuff you want. Uh, that's all at his website, grc.com, where he also publishes SpinWrite, the world's finest hard drive maintenance and recovery utility, and lots of free stuff, tons of free stuff, including the legendary Shields Up to test your router. And now you got one more test to throw in there. Turn off WPS. Yes. Um, you also can find video versions uh, as well as audio versions on our site, twit.tv, going back 333 episodes. Thank you, Steve. We'll remind people that next week is a Q&A episode. So grc.com slash feedback. Uh, send me anything you want to. Uh, we'd love your, your name and where you're located so we can let people know who and who's listening and where they are. And we will uh, entertain questions. And then in two weeks, going to plow into what, how, how it is that a, a fault was found in a protocol that all of our routers, our wireless routers, probably have enabled by default, which allows a bad guy to get in on only a couple hours. Wow. Not good. Wow. Steve Gibson, GRC.com. Have a great New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, and we will see you next Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, on twit.tv. Yay. Thanks, Leo. Security now.